Join me in prayer. Lord, we give you this time this morning to do what you would have to do in our lives. Come Holy Spirit. As we look at this well-familiar passage to some of us and to others maybe less familiar, so that we would be your people, rejoicing who we are in you, to be a blessing to all those around us. For your honor and glory, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alexander White, the great Scottish preacher of the 19th century, was once visiting an elderly parishioner who complained at length about everything and everyone. And so he described this visit as he departed this delightful visit. He quoted Psalm 103, verse 2 to her, and mind you, forget not all his benefits. You see, my friends, thanklessness is not new to our generation. It's always been an issue. It's also true today that never had people had so much and been yet so ungrateful. Consider the typical Ivy Leaguer. You know, 1% of people who apply to Harvard get in. 2% to Yale. So just think of such a person. From birth, he's lacked nothing. He's had loving, doting parents, grandparents, best in medical care, music training, tennis lessons, family vacations, summer sailing school, trendy wardrobes, religious instruction, European educational experiences, special work experiences, distinctive cars, and even a credit card of his own. Yet, he's angry, ungrateful, depressed, poor me mentality. He appreciates nothing. He regards his family as a nuisance. He focuses on shortcomings and slights of others in his upbringing. He holds on grudges with a death grip. And it never occurs to him that some of his happy friends had far less than he has. Ungratefulness, though it's always been an endemic to the human soul, is flourishing in our culture, my friends. And it's cresting in our day. And Christian culture is not immune. The contemporary diseases that afflict others attach to us as well, so that in some cases, apart from our perfunctory prayers at family meals, no one would ever know that we are a grateful people, much less recipients of God's amazing grace. When you think about it, scripturally speaking, a thankless Christian is a contradiction in terms. Really. Philippians 4.4, 4, Romans 1.12, rather, 2 Timothy 3.2, all talk about the grateful Christian. And so today's passage 
addresses not only gratitude, but what's at the heart of gratitude. For in this passage, Luke is, is giving us more than just a lesson on gratitude. This is more than just a moral lesson, my friends. It's the heart of the gospel. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 17, because what it addresses really is what true faith looks like. And what we learn in this passage is the resolve of God, the approachable God, the God who hears and acts on our behalf, and the two kinds of human responses to his action. All right? The resolve of God, the God who's approachable, the God who listens and acts, and the typical responses that people have over God's action. So let's look first at the resolve of God. Verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Well, in Luke, we've learned that these aren't just some random sentences that Luke just throws out there, right? Luke in 9.51 said Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. The whole book has been answering the question, who is Jesus and why has he come? In, in chapter 7, he heals the widow's son. And the whole crowd says, a great prophet has risen among us. And... Luke is saying, basically, you got to understand, he is a great prophet, but he's much more than that. He's a priest and a king as well. John the Baptist, later on in chapter 7, wonders whether Jesus really is this priest and king that he's been proclaiming. So Jesus says to his disciples, Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. In other words, he's saying, John, we're right on track. I'm doing exactly what Messiah has been called to do. So you arrive at verse, chapter 9, verse 51, where he's set his face toward Jerusalem. He's going to the cross. He must die. And so his disciples are now beginning to grasp the mission that Jesus is on, and we've seen that now from chapter 9 all the way to verse 17. Jesus' entire ministry has taught us that he's come not for those who are well, he's come for those who recognize they're sick. He's not come for the religious who are interested in joining the Jesus Religious Mickey Mouse Club. He's come for those who want a genuine relationship with the living God. Jesus is more interested in people who know they're lost. So in chapter 15, he described those who are lost, right? In the parable of the woman who's seeking the lost coin, the parable of the shepherd seeking the lost sheep, and the parable of the father seeking the two lost sons, because they're both lost. This is a great encouragement for those who know they're lost. And a warning to those who think they got it all together, this religious thing. And, you know, I'm part of the ipso facto community of the church. But this reminds us in verse 11, once again, 
that Jesus has come for no other reason to secure your salvation and to give you purpose, meaning, and a hope in this life. That this cross that he climbs upon on our behalf, he lived the life we should have lived. And he died the death that we deserve to die so that we might have all that. And Luke reminds us as this story begins that this isn't just some side note. This is the central meaning of his gospel. He has come for each and every one of us. Do you get it? Do you understand this, my friends? Because if you're one of those who goes, yeah, check. You're missing it. This is good news for each and every one of us. He's done it for us. I don't have to have my act together. I want to. But he's done it for me. And he's done it for you. And Luke is reminding us of God's resolve as he passes between Samaritan, those filthy dog Gentiles, and Galilee, where the nice Jews live. Okay? See what he's doing here? He's passing between. And he wants to remind us He's got a great resolving love for you and me. Secondly, we learn that this God is so approachable. Verse 12, and as he entered a village, we don't know where it was. It was somewhere between Samaria and Galilee. He was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. As you know, according to the Holiness Code of Leviticus, lepers had to be isolated from the community because it was considered to be a communicable disease. So it was required for them, once they contracted the disease and it was determined that they have leprosy, to live outside of the village in what would become a leper colony. The family had to provide for the lepers. So every night you cooked dinner, you took it out to Cousin Nick out there to make sure he got to eat something. Because if the family didn't bring him anything, he'd starve. And everywhere they went throughout the community, they had to yell out loud, unclean, unclean, so the people could stay away. It was an awful existence. No physical touch. No warm hug from a loved one or a spouse or a child. And so it's obvious why they stood at a distance at the end of verse 12. They had no choice. But they knew something about this Jesus that could bring healing to them physically and spiritually. So they stood at a distance without shame. In great desperation, they approached him and theologically correct name him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They didn't say, Jesus, get me into Harvard. Get me a nice car. Help me to get this job with all the things that we ask. Not that those aren't important, but this is priorities here. They want to be back in the community. And God takes our requests right where we are, no matter where we are in our journey in Christ, ladies and gentlemen. You can approach Jesus with your requests. Now, you and I both know. Doesn't mean he answers all our requests the way we want them. Sometimes it's a yes. 
Sometimes it's a no, and sometimes it's a wait. What we learned throughout the whole counsel of the Word of God is to abide in Christ as a follower of Christ. That we're called to abide in Him, and He in us. And apart from Him, we can do nothing. Later on in John 15, He says, Abide in Me, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? What does it mean to abide? It means to live in to walk with and to follow wholeheartedly our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as we're remaining in the word, remaining in prayer, loving God's people, loving my neighbor. I'm abiding. Because sometimes I think the reason our prayers aren't being answered is that our requests about a step with what God wants and God's purposes for our lives. When the people of God know the purposes of God, they have open access to the power of God. Therefore, the reason some of us have never seen any major answer to our prayer is that they've never allowed God's word to transform their heart in line with his purposes. John Piper has a great illustration about prayer. Many of us think prayer is like you're sitting by the pool, you got a little bell, You pick up the bell, and you ring, and the waiter comes and brings you your Pepsi. That's what prayer is. Wrong. Prayer is like a wartime walkie-talkie. Because, my friends, the reality of the Christian life is that you're in a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or you're going into a storm. Because life is hard, And we're in spiritual warfare. And I got a walkie-talkie directly to the throne of God in Jesus Christ. That's what the ascension's all about. He is physically seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Lord Jesus! Yes, Gene? I need help here. He hears you as we abide in him. And I know there's some who are really struggling with this because I've had several men in our congregation over the last three months say to me, Gene, this, this, this Christian thing doesn't work for me. He doesn't hear me. I said, yeah, I know. How's your, how's your time in the Word? Nah, I'm not reading it. How's your time in prayer? Nah, I don't pray. Do, do, are you serving on Sunday anywhere? No. Do you serve in the community anywhere? No. Let's go back to the cross, shall we? <laughs> what evidence of there being a Christian do you have in your life? Let's work on abiding. Let's go back to the cross. Let's look at how much God loves you. Stay tuned. Because we're going to learn what that means here in a second. But God always takes us as we are, even if we're filthy, unclean lepers. Next, we see that the God who we can appeal to also listens in Acts. Verse 14, when Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Isn't that great? He, he, didn't, he didn't do anything. He didn't walk up to them, spit some mud and rub it on them or anything. He just, he, at a distance, he said, go. Go back, go show yourself to the priest, which is what 
the Levitical command was. You're supposed to go show yourself to the priest to show you're clean. And they're like, uh, okay. So they turn and start to walk. And as they're walking, they're healed. <laughs> it's beautiful. With a word from a distance, the Lord answered a prayer from a bunch of nameless lepers. Unclean. And Jesus gives them their full attention. And the Savior of the universe takes the time to show mercy and brings healing to them. The world's not like this. <laughs> the world doesn't listen to us like this. And the world doesn't act like this. You know that. Just ask any person in business. We're not like this. Unfortunately, at times, Pastor Chuck Swindoll once found himself with way too many commitments, with way too few days to accomplish them. He writes in his book, Stress Fractures, how I was snapping at my wife and children, choking down my food at mealtimes, and feeling irritated at those unexpected interruptions throughout the day. And before long, things around our home started to reflect the pattern of my hurried-up lifestyle, and it was becoming unbearable. He said, I distinctly remember after supper one evening the words of our youngest daughter, Colleen. She wanted to tell me something important that had happened to her in school that day. She began hurriedly saying, Daddy, I want to tell you something. I'll tell you really fast. He said, Honey, you can tell me. You don't have to, you don't have to tell me really fast. Say it slowly. He said, I'll never forget her answer. Okay, Daddy, then listen slowly. <laughs> My friends, it doesn't matter how fast you ask. It doesn't matter how slow you ask. God listens to you. And as we abide in him, he will move. He will move. You can always come to him. Well, let's look at the responses. The typical responses. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. See, there are those who at the offering of the gospel go, yeah, I get that. Yeah, okay, cool. Can I get confirmed now? I want to join the church, right? But there's no evidence whatsoever of a vibrant faith. But what we see here is that genuine, true, Christian-like faith praises God, falls at the feet of Jesus, with hearts of gratitude. The evidence of true faith. Because, you know, countless people have been confirmed. Countless people have made a profession of faith at a Young Life camp. Countless people have given their life to Jesus at one of our Christmas Eve services where the gospel goes forward, one of our Easter services. But we set up discipleship afterwards and no one comes for discipling. 
But yet people say, well, I committed my life to Christ. Well, why didn't you get in discipleship? Why don't we grow together? Many people went forward at an evangelistic event, but there's no desire for godliness, no desire for the word, no desire for prayer, and yet they believe themselves saved. They believe themselves converted. It's all over our nation, right? You might be able to answer the questions correctly at the interview. You might be able to snow the bishop, but we can't snow God. Genuine faith praises God, falls at his feet with great gratitude. Paul Washer, the director of Heart Cry Mission Society, tells a story that screams of this. He was preaching in Alaska at, at an evangelistic event where in, during the evangelistic event, a six-foot-four cowboy walks in and sits in the front row. There's obviously something wrong with him, so Paul Washer preaches the gospel, calls for a decision, and inv- doesn't ask people to come forward, just says, if you want to speak to me after the event, I'd love to speak to you. Because that's what he does. He doesn't do manipulative altar calls. And he obviously saw something was wrong with this cowboy. So he says, sir, what is wrong? He said, I've never been to church in my life. I've worked on a cattle ranch my entire life since I was 18 years old. I just went to the doctor and I have three weeks to live and then I'm going to die. I believe in God, but I don't know what to do. He said, sir, I've preached the gospel for the last 45 minutes. The good news of Jesus Christ dying to secure your salvation. Do you understand it? He said, yeah, I understand it. Anyone can understand it. But is that it? What would most evangelists do at that point? Do you want to invite Jesus into your heart? That's what American evangelism has done. And nowhere in the scripture do you ever invite Jesus into your heart. Throw it out of your vocabulary, my friends. We're called to repent and believe, which means trust fully in the finished work of Christ and follow. So Paul Washer, being of that understanding, says, well, let's talk about repentance Let's talk about trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation. Let's, trust about, let's talk about walking with him. So he did so for the next half hour. And the guy says, I don't get it. So Paul says, well, look, I got a flight in the morning to leave Alaska. I'll cancel my flight. And if necessary, I stay with you for the next three weeks until you understand you need to make a decision, yay or nay. I will stay with you, but you understand. If you say yay, you have eternal life in heaven. If you say no, you're going to spend eternity in hell. You understand that? He goes, yeah. He said, well, let's begin. <laughs> Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. He went through the Old Testament promises of the Messiah and how Jesus fulfilled those promises. Still didn't get it. So after a couple more hours, 
He takes him to John 3.16. You know the passage. I learned it at the NFL. The NFL taught me John 3.16. I was watching a football game because back in the 70s, behind every extra point, up came a banner. John 3.16. I go, what's John 3.16? You know, I didn't go to church. My dad said, as he normally did, look it up. So this guy starts, he goes, man, we've, we've gone through so much. I don't want to read one more text. He said, there's too much at stake. Read it. So he picks up the Bible. God so loved the world. His hands start to shake. He goes, I'm saved. I'm, I'm clean. My sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven. He goes, sir, how do you know? He says, haven't you read this? That's falling at the feet of Jesus. That's true gratitude. And every one of us in different degrees, I hope, have had that experience when you realize, I'm saved. I have eternal life. You've done it for me. And fall at his feet with gratitude. Let's apply this. Our young people, students, so much you're swimming upstream, don't buy it. This is eternal life. This is truth. This is abundant life. Hold fast to the truth of the gospel. Get plugged in, either in our student ministry, local young life and campaigners, Get involved. You need community of a band of brothers and sisters that you can walk through life with as you grow and mature in Christ. And by the way, if you haven't been confirmed, you need to put your big boy pants on and stand before the bishop and get confirmed. I'm personally sick and tired of our young people continuing to receive communion when they've never made a profession of faith. You've been receiving it since fourth grade. It's time to own it and walk with us. Adults, let's walk together. Get in community and start to do the things that Christians do if we're not currently doing them. Men, we're in the Word together. We're praying individually. We're serving and we're leading our families because it's up to the men to lead our families. We are. We're called to it. Love our wives. Pray with our wives. Some of you have never done that. I know because I've asked some of you. I know it's hard. I know. Welcome to the club. No big deal. Let's start. It doesn't have to be much. At nighttime as you lay your heads down, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. I thank you for the gift this woman is in my life. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Protect us through this night. Protect my family. Protect the Christ Church family. Watch over them. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. 
and help us to awaken in the new day to join you in the work you're doing around us for your glory so that I might walk in the fullness and the purpose that you have for each and every one of us. How long did that take? 20 seconds? 30 seconds? It's okay. Just pray. Lead. Ladies, be open to that leading. They're trying. It's never been done before. It's not the easiest thing for a guy to do. But if he is doing it, praise God. Let's keep going. Let's walk. And let's lead our kids. Encourage them to be part of our student ministry. Encourage them to be part of Young Life. Lead them. Because I've had more than one parent also say to me, we're so busy. Yeah, you're busy with things that don't matter. You need to drop some things. Get off the American treadmill. It's taking you nowhere. This is taking us somewhere. And that's coming from an old football and baseball coach. I'm sorry. I, you know, I, love, I love it. Go Nats. Hey, we're all in this together. There's no perfect people. Let's walk together. Finally, our, our older folks, you, get, you think you're, you're done. You think that, you know, I can't do much. Yeah, you can. Get in community with us. Pray for us. Especially our older folks who are getting rather frail. You've, your prayers are anointed. We need you. Because when you're praying for us, God moves. So my friends, in closing, throughout the Bible, it's not the religious who get praise for their attitudes and actions. It's the social rejects. It's the, the humble who receive the most praise for coming to the Lord in faith. So my prayer for each and every one of us is with all humility, sincerity, and full trust in what Jesus Christ has done for us upon the cross, we would live lives with great gratitude for his glory and for his honor so that we might shine a light no matter where we are. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this incredible text which challenges us, which encourages us that you had a great resolve for us and that we can approach you with any silly request it may seem, but yet you receive it and you filter it through your cross for us. Lord, I pray that we would abide in you and love you, serve you, Lead our families and assist us to be humble, sincere, and loving disciples of the living God. And as people look at us, they would recognize our gratitude for what you have done for us in Jesus. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.